0: Hello, I'm Nadia Singh and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Jennifer Ashton, Chief Medical Correspondent with ABC News. Dr. Ashton will be addressing self-care, COVID-19 and the holidays, and things we can all do to stay safe this holiday season and beyond. It's great to have you with me, Dr. Ashton.
1: Thank you. And I have to first say that um, my medical specialty is actually OBGYN, which, as I say off the record to a lot of my colleagues, is so much ID that I actually think in our residency we should have to do at least a month of infectious disease rotation. But throughout the covering of this pandemic in my role as chief medical correspondent for ABC News, I have literally been in touch with the country's top ID specialists uh, from Dr. Fauci on down, or laterally, I really should say. And I really have to thank IDSA and the specialty of infectious diseases who have really helped us immensely at ABC News and uh, in the media in general cover this pandemic. And, you know, a large part of why each network has their own medical correspondent is just because of the TV skills that are called to bear on doing what we do and communicating medical information uh, to the lay public. But that would not be possible without the behind the scenes and sometimes in front of the scenes assistance that we get from various specialists. So thank you to IDSA and to all of the incredible ID docs that have helped
0: us cover this story. Thank you for all you do, Dr. Ashton, and for those kind words. So earlier this month, it was encouraging to see the governor of Utah enact a mask mandate. With the election behind us, do you think the country can depoliticize the use of masks and now adopt mask mandates in all states? Uh, Most clinical practitioners hope that that's the case. But in
1: order to, no one has a crystal ball. So in order to answer that, I think we actually really have to go back and understand that in, you know, in medicine and in public health, communication is critically important. And there's a saying that sometimes the messenger is as important as the message. And I think several times during this pandemic, we've seen that um, really in living color, because you don't get a second chance to gain the trust of whether it's an individual patient or the country in general, when you're communicating very important and evolving, dynamically changing medical information. And unfortunately, there were definitely some missteps in communication uh, early on in the pandemic. And, you know, I always say with our field, with medicine, it's different in the world of news and journalism. You know, it's not weather, it's not politics, it's not finance, it's not entertainment. It's medical health care news. And that is personal to everyone. So I think that we can only hope going forward, there'll be a more unified messaging with respect to what we know and what we don't know about this virus and this pandemic and infection control measures. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, this is why I have the job that I have at ABC News, because I do it every single day. And I think early on in the pandemic, we saw people who were not used to communicating um, in the media or to millions of people. And they were tasked with having to give very important information uh, to the country who was frightened by what was happening and it wasn't handled well. So I think that now, you know, Rather than continue to look back, I think we have to focus on the here and now and try to get on the same page, and hopefully we
0: can do that. Thank you for raising those points, Dr. Ashton. I myself was a reporter for many years and covered health news, so I do understand how personal that story truly is. Thank you for your insight. We've been hearing so much about pandemic fatigue, as many people are just simply tired of social distancing, mask wearing, and becoming more lax, really, in efforts to prevent transmission. How do you think, Dr. Ashton, we can effectively re-energize the public and have them focus on these COVID-19 precautions? And more importantly, what role can physicians like yourself play? First of all, this is real.
1: It's important to acknowledge it, recognize it. The World Health Organization has stated that they believe half the European population is suffering from pandemic fatigue. And, you know, as any clinician, any doctor who sees patients will tell you, and I'm one of them, I still see patients, you cannot affect behavioral change in a patient or in a population if you don't address the psychological or psychosocial issues that are at play for that patient or for that population. And so, uh, this is where, again, uh, as, as you know, having been in medical news media, it is really important that as we communicate information and as we ask for behavioral changes and sacrifices and compromises in behavior and in our society, some of which may be long term, some of which may be temporary, I think we have to acknowledge the psychological factors at play here, because if we don't, that message will fall flat. It will not be impactful. And so you can get 10 doctors delivering the same 10 recommendations or guidelines, but the ones who will be effective, the ones who will have a real impact on changing behavior and modifying behavior for the better are the ones that understand that you can't, unless you connect with a patient, or connect with a population or an audience, your message will not be heard. So we have to acknowledge that people are frustrated and weary and tired and sick of this. Everyone is. And I think it would be abnormal if we were not feeling those things. But this is no different than taking care of someone who has high blood pressure that's not well controlled or poorly controlled diabetes. And, you know, as doctors, we don't, lose hope in that person. We don't lose faith that we will be able to help them change certain behaviors. Uh, We keep trying, but sometimes that requires um, pivoting in terms of our approach and modifying our language. And I think we really need to do that now more than ever.
0: That connection is so important, Dr. Ashton. Moving on, how can we rebuild public trust in our nation's public health, medical and scientific efforts? To ensure that all individuals adhere to social distancing and masking guidelines? Well, I think one way to regain trust is, of course, not to have lost it in
1: the first place. But I think that one thing that everyone can do, whether they're speaking uh, to individual patients or families, or they're speaking on local news, or they're speaking to a national or even international audience, is we have to be honest. That's the intellectually appropriate thing to do. It's the professionally appropriate thing to do. Um, And it shows real integrity when you have that honesty that we don't know it all in medicine and science. So, you know, personally, I would rather help teach people how to think like a doctor than teach them a fact today that we may learn tomorrow has changed. Because if I really hang my hat on one fact rather than the thought process in general, when we learn that that fact has changed, it's understandable that someone will say, well, why should I believe you now when what you just told me yesterday is no longer true? So I think it's really the onus of responsibility is on us in medicine to explain to the lay public how the scientific process works, how we don't know it all in medicine and science. And any doctor who says they do know it all probably is not the right doctor, certainly not the best doctor. And I think that to bring people into the process of how we discover new facts, how, uh, you know, people study viruses for 40 years, 50 years, and still don't know at all about that virus, that uh, we're less than one year into our relationship with SARS-CoV-2. That has to be the first step, because when we can be honest, when we can be transparent, when we can admit what we know and what we don't know, then it really puts things into perspective for the public to understand, okay, this is someone who is coming right down the middle, who's giving it to me straight um, and not trying to be deceptive or uh, a know-it-all.
0: And I think that's really important. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to COVID19LearningNetwork.org. All right, let's talk about the holidays now, Dr. Ashton. I can't believe I'm saying this, but they are actually upon us We've been talking a lot about the COVID-19 restrictions, the pandemic fatigue we're all feeling. How can we all just take a breath and enjoy our family safely? It just seems like everybody needs that right now. You can
1: say that again. I'm going to first start answering that question with a personal story, if I might, which is I come from a medical family. My boyfriend happens to be an infectious disease specialist from Boston, all doctors and one nurse in my family. I had initially planned out a Thanksgiving get-together that included 16 people with four of them were 80 years old. I had all of these ideas that I would really take every single step to make it as safe as possible. So uh, everyone was going to be tested with PCR 24 to 48 hours before they arrived. Doors and windows would be open and this would be in Connecticut, so it was gonna be cold. (laughs) Instead of all sitting together at one table, like most people do, I had rented small little cocktail tables and I was gonna put two people at each table very far apart with name tags on each one and only people who lived together would be sitting together. I was going to enforce mask wearing inside unless we were actually eating. All of these steps. And about a month ago, so now we're talking mid-October, in my capacity, you know, as chief medical correspondent at ABC News and speaking to epidemiologists and public health officials, and again, uh, Tony Fauci and I are in direct communication um, regularly throughout this pandemic and just reporting on this the trends of the case surges that we're seeing all over the country, I just took a step back and I said, this is just, this can't happen. <laughs> it's not worth the risk. All of these steps together definitely sound good. They definitely help. But uh, if I want to remove the risk, I can't bring 15, 16 people together with four 80 year olds, because my father, who's a cardiologist, always you know, used to say, it only has to happen once. And if that worst case scenario happened, it would be really hard to justify my actions and I would not be able to live with myself. So I canceled and instead we'll be doing Thanksgiving with just, you know, four, four of us, my children and my mom. But I will tell you that it is difficult because the CDC is urging Americans not to travel, not to get together. You just brought up pandemic fatigue. I think when you put that with a holiday, holiday that used to involve, traveling and getting together, it really is the perfect storm for what's already almost a vertical trajectory with our cases. And so I'm very concerned with, with what will happen on Thanksgiving and the two weeks later. You know, I think that unfortunately, we're going to be talking in December about how much worse things are, and we will have been able to prevent that. And As I'm telling my patients, this is just one holiday of sacrifice. It's not the rest of our lives, but it's very, very
0: difficult to get that message across sometimes. It is so hard because it's personal and it's emotional. Dr. Ashton, you talk a lot about self-care in your recent book that bears the same name, more specifically, The Self-Care Solution. You also talk about resilience as we face this pandemic in another book you penned recently, The new normal in both you talk about your own experiences while helping the reader figure out their own path setting goals for themselves how to take care of themselves and be kind to themselves why is this kind of practice so important as we come into the holiday season and beyond amid again a pandemic that we are facing separately but together
1: i mean first of all thank you for that question I think that self-care has never been more essential. Um, When I wrote that book and it came out less than a year ago and became a national bestseller, no one was more surprised in the way that book was received actually than I was (laughs) Um, because it started out with an experiment that I did on myself with really a, a scientific curiosity, if you will, about how I would feel after doing uh, various challenges that I deemed self-care challenges just for one month at a time. And then one month turned into two and it turned into 12. And then I put it all together in a book. And what I realized then, and it really, really came to life during this pandemic, is that we are in a worldwide medical crisis. Uh, the likes of which no one has experienced in our lifetime, the likes of which has not happened in the past hundred years. And in order to get through it in a way that is truly coming out on the other side, more resilient uh, than we were when we went into this, we have to really double down on all of these and other self-care approaches because for example, in medicine, we can't take care of our patients. We can't be there for our patients or our families if our own health and well-being is unstable. And unfortunately, when in medicine, when we are devoting extraordinary hours with very little breaks and no vacation and no time off in very stressful physically and psychologically and emotionally and financially situations, it takes its toll. And anyone who doesn't think that these situations and circumstances are taking a toll on us is, in my medical and personal opinion, really in denial because it is affecting everyone. And again, it would be abnormal if it weren't affecting people. So I think that the answer to that is, do the things that we know are important that don't take that much time during the day you know make sure that we're you know being responsible in how we eat and how we move and how we rest i'll just tell you as an example in the self care solution and in the new normal actually which is just out and available for pre-order i talk about meditation which is something that i i didn't learn until about 5 years ago And I have said publicly and I say it in my practice, I say it in the books that if I could write a prescription for patients to meditate, I would. That's how powerful I think it is. And for me, when I started covering this pandemic in January, February, I started working about 14 to 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And even though I come from the very uh, demanding (laughs) field of OBGYN and in prior life I was used to that, uh, there was no end in sight. And I was dreaming about COVID and I was living it and I was reading every study that came out and I was in the job that I have at ABC. Every word has to be accurate. Every fact has to be correct because millions and millions of people are listening to it and depending on it for its accuracy. And the stress and the just the demands of the schedule were extremely difficult. And I stopped meditating for the beginning of this pandemic. And by beginning, I mean <laughs> about six months of it. <laughs> and it wasn't until this fall that I resumed 20 minutes a day, every single morning. And I will tell you that the change is palpable. It is So significant, it's so profound, and I think that it's just an example, one example of how an easy self-care practice can literally make all the difference. And so I think that you know the saying "Doctor, heal thyself" um, is has never been more relevant and more important than it is today. The stresses. That, that doctors and nurses and PAs and nurse anesthetists and respiratory therapists are under, who are in the hospital, treating these critically ill COVID patients is extreme. And there is no end in sight uh, for the, at least, you know, for the next several months, if not longer. And so if we don't take care of ourselves, we won't be
0: able to take care of others. So I think never ever has self-care been more important. Dr. Ashton, thank you for bringing up the importance to recognize the need for support and self-care for all of our frontline healthcare workers who are dealing head on with this pandemic. So important to remember. Any final points, Dr. Ashton?
1: What I've been spending a lot of time thinking about um, in the 10 or so months, 11 months of this pandemic is and part of this is because i'm, you know, at the core kind of a, a glasses half full type of person but i i do believe that in every crisis, in every emergency, and sometimes even in every tragedy, there is always an opportunity for growth, uh for innovation, and i think that this pandemic is no different. There are some opportunities that we've already seen uh, the fruits of. We've seen incredible and unprecedented global collaboration between the public and private sectors um, with development of uh, several vaccines against SARS-CoV-2. And we've seen people spotlighted for their efforts um, and groups of people that heretofore, you know really weren't um, ever kind of featured and and weren't acknowledged uh, and I think that we've seen how much we have to be grateful for in this country and also how much work we have to do to improve there will be a lot of silver linings that come out of this pandemic, hopefully not too far down the road, such as, you know, reassessing our supply chain and reliance on pharmaceuticals that come from India and China so that we're more independent, you know, looking more closely and recognizing uh, the field of emerging infectious diseases and zoonotic diseases uh, and how we interface with animals and the field of agriculture will be much more relevant for for a lot of people and lastly i think you know this pandemic has shown us that we can't take a siloed view of our lives both medically and from a public health standpoint it's very easy for a lot of people to only look at what's happening in the us and this pandemic i think has really reminded us that we need to be concerned with what's happening in asia we need to be aware and concerned of what's happening in europe uh, and in Scandinavia, and in South America, and in Africa. And it's no longer going to be acceptable to say, well, that's someone else's problem, or that's the problem in their country, but not here. Um, because w- the world becomes pretty small pretty quickly when you're talking about a high impact respiratory pathogen. And I think we've all learned that firsthand. So I do think that there are a lot of opportunities for growth that will come out of this pandemic. In some ways, I've never been more proud to be a physician and to be in medicine and science and see what can be done even in completely uncharted Uh, waters. So we we do have work to do, but as doctors, as scientists, we're always looking to do better and learn from our mistakes. So I think that will will happen with this as well. I want to close the way we started by thanking IDSA and all of my friends and colleagues in the field of infectious diseases and uh, for all of the amazing work that you've all been doing. And I want to also thank Dr. Alexander, Dr. Barbara Alexander, for writing uh, such a kind testimonial for my new book, The New Normal. Certainly a lot of what I've learned uh, in covering this pandemic has come from your colleagues in infectious diseases. So I hope you all read it and enjoy it. And thank you for having me. Be well and happy holidays.
0: I'd like to thank Dr. Ashton for her time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on COVID-19, visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network at covid19learningnetwork.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast. I'm Nadia Singh.